Today's date is February 17th, 2023, and this is episode 9. Ventura! Yes, Satan? Oh, I'm sorry, sir. You sounded like someone else. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, get away from me, Satan. Jesus said, you don't tempt the Lord thy God. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, get away from me, Satan. Jesus said, you don't tempt the Lord thy God. Now Jesus went to the desert forty nights and forty days. When he got tired and hungry, to his father he would pray. But the devil came to Jesus, said, If you want to be fed, why don't you turn these big old worthless stones to bread? Get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, Get away from me, Satan. Jesus said, you don't tempt the Lord thy God. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, get away from me, Satan. Jesus said, you don't tempt the Lord thy God. Then the devil, he took Jesus to the temple up on top. And he said, if you are the son of God, jump off of this golden rock. For the scripture says that angels will slow you falling down. And they'll gently put your feet back on the ground. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, get away from me, Satan. Jesus said, you don't tempt the Lord thy God. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, get away from me, Satan. Jesus said, you don't tempt the Lord thy God. Then the devil gave to Jesus to a mountaintop to shove all the cities and the nations and the kingdoms here below. And the devil gave told Jesus, you can have all that you see. If you will just bow down and worship me. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, get away from me, Satan. Jesus said, you don't tempt the Lord thy God. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, get away from me, Satan. Jesus said, he said, don't tempt the Lord thy God. Hello and welcome to this is an official Godcast. Thank you. What a blessing it is to be here with all of you. My name is Ron Johnston, and I'm here with Flightworks Mary and Burke, a.k.a. Big Daddy Fun. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. How are you doing? Doing good. You sound excited. <laughs> Mary, are you with us tonight? Yeah, she's just got a boo. She'll be here in a second. And of course, we have our special, very special guest here tonight with us, Ezra Snow, giving his testimony tonight. And we also have our 
newest mini co-host in for a special seating here tonight this is our little god little godcaster ray finkel how are you doing tonight hey good how are you oh we're doing good glad you could join us mary here how are you doing mary are you with us she's still waiting to come in okay so while we're waiting for mary our little godcaster he's yes hey he's having she's having a little trouble i think she'll be okay our little Godcaster Ray Finkel's here. He's our special guest tonight also, and he came in. He wanted to read something for us tonight, so I, I've welcomed him into the studio. Uh, go ahead. Read us what you got here, Ray. Well, I actually made this story last year in October. Okay. Um, it's called, You Should Tell About Jesus Christ. I agree with that. You going to read it to us? Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Right. We're all ears. What do you have to say? You need to lead with love. You need to tell friends about Jesus. And you need to read the Bible all you can and teach all you can. When you learn about the Bible, you need to express your feelings about it. You need to go to church. They will teach you more about Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, do it in the Lord's name. Trust in Christ, and you will go to heaven. Believe in my words, and you will go to heaven. When you go to heaven, there will be a room for you. If it were not so, he would not have told us in his book, the Bible. God loves you with all his heart. He will take care of you. He will never put anything in your way if you can't take it in. If you're feeling discouraged, read this story, and it will change your life. If Jesus comes or not, I know one thing. He's going to save the world. And when he comes, he will walk a day in our shoes. When he comes, he will save you and all people. When he comes, he will bring you to heaven. You will have, you will live eternal life in heaven with God the Father. God is three people. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God created the earth. Adam and Eve sinned, and it's called fall. And soon, God will come again to redeem the earth. That was beautiful. Very Son, beautiful. Thank you for reading that for us. You're welcome. So can you hear me okay now? Oh, you sound great. Okay. I don't know what happened. That's all right. <laughs> You're here now. That's the important thing. Okay. Well, that okay, was beautiful, God, Ronnie. Thank you for joining us. And uh, we, we'll, we'll see you. We'll catch you on the flip side, buddy. You have a good night, okay? All right. All right. Good Thanks, night. Thanks, Ray. Good night. Yeah. Face this out. Yep. All right. Good night. Well, Mary, how are you doing this week? Oh, I'm doing good up till about like 45 seconds ago. <laughs> I don't know what was going on. We got it fixed though. So, but yeah, typical Friday and I'm glad it's the end of the week and I'm super glad it's Godcast Day. 
Praise God, it's Friday. Yes, right. So you had a good week. You were on a different podcast this week. Where were you? To, where were you earlier this week? Oh, I had a little field trip. So <clears throat> I went on uh, Nikki Knight's podcast on her evening one, and uh, I had been on her podcast earlier in the day and just listening while I was at work. But there was something that kind of um, really touched on me, so I. Um, had commented a little bit and then she got a hold of me in the afternoon and asked me to come on and kind of talk a little bit more about it. So, um, and I think that was um, just this week. So if you guys want to look up Nikki Knight's uh, knickknack show, um, you can catch it on there, but it was a really good uh, time with her just relating how that uh, scripture in Isaiah 29 had really touched me and, and, the things that I'm going through in my family. So it was awesome. Yeah, that was Monday, Monday at seven o'clock, Nick Nack yes. earlier this week. Yep. If anyone wants to listen in on that, it's kind of an extenuation of your testimony that you gave here. And yes. if anyone wants to listen to that, that is uh, episode two of Godcast. If you want to get back and listen to that. And Mike, how are you doing today? How'd you finish your day off? Oh, pretty good. Lots of driving, but. Got it handled. Glad Lots of driving in this beautiful Michigan winter wonderland. Glad it's over. Ready for the weekend. Yeah, thank God it's Friday. So um, before we start, let's spend just a second and rejoice in some of God's handiwork. And I don't normally do this, but I do want to play a little clip from a different podcast. And like I said, I, I've never done this before, and I, I really probably won't get in the habit of doing it. Um, but I do want to play this little snippet here, and this is Duncan from the Kilted Christian podcast, and he was talking to Conley about when he was on our show, and then something that special happened after that, so um, let's give this a listen. Like with my father, that's one of the reasons that I, um, when I went on the Godcast, um, I had already accepted Christ into my heart, but I wanted to do it then, because my father is one of those people he, he's not a word listener. He's, he's one of those people that needs to see the fruits being bared. That has a lot more impact on my father. So that's the reason I did that on the Godcast, handed my father that link. I didn't want him to hear me say over and over again, dad, you need to find a relationship with Christ. I wanted to show him that I had. That's right. You know what I'm saying? So that's the power of people seeing what you do as compared to hearing what you do. Because one of my favorite old, it's an old Taoist saying, but it's a man who knows doesn't say, and a man who says doesn't know. Because a man who says is trying to prove that they know something. But a man who knows shows you that he knows how to do that something. Mm -hmm. It's strong, isn't it? Yes. And Mary, and it's the best way to do it anyway. Mary, and I don't know if Ron's in here or not, but if Ron's not in here or Bert passing on to them, it created the conversation with my father that I've been waiting to do. Right. So that ended up being, like I said, I listened to God. God said, do this. Um, yeah. So I followed that lead, um, did that on, on the show, passed that link onto my father and it began the conversation. It's all the, when, when the conversation begins and people start asking questions, you're good to go because it shows interest. It shows intrigue. It shows they're not just listening to you because you're talking. They're listening because they want to. So praise God. Yeah, and for those who don't know, uh, Duncan's father has some spiritual needs. 
Uh, he's, you know, he's getting up there in his age and, uh, he's have some health things going on right now. And, uh, Duncan, of course, you know, we're, and not just Duncan, but all of us, you know, we've been praying for him and, uh, we're, we're, we're just praying that he seeks out Jesus. Um, like I said, he's got spiritual needs. And so that was quite a blessing to hear. Um, it's nice to know that, that yes, you know, we, we worship the living God, that he's still working today. And it, it's great to see things like this occur, uh, to have that conversation with that one that you love, that one that needs Jesus. You know, it, he may not have received Jesus in that, in that conversation he had with Duncan, but it, it's a seed that was planted. And, and that's the beauty of it. You know, we just, we, we do what we do and then we let God do the rest. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. That was so Mary, awesome. Mary, some, very similar to that, you received a text from someone that you know this week. Can, can you read that for yes. us? Do you, do you have that handy? Yes, okay. I do. Um, this is from a friend of mine who um, is not a part of the Bards FM community. And uh, she reached out to me by text um, earlier and had said, um, let me pull it up now. Of course, I didn't have it handy like I thought I did, but um, hold on a moment. <laughs> uh, she says, um, just listen to your testimony. And I have been feeling a lot of rejection lately and kind of feeling sorry for myself. Your testimony gave me the power to shake the feelings off. And I know that God loves me. And you so received that, really that Valentine's me. Day. Yeah. Yes. So it was, it was like a little Valentine from God to her, which which was quite beautiful. Yeah, it was. And how I had even been saying, like, you know, I've really haven't gotten very many Valentines, but God made sure that I got one. <laughs> and that nice. Yeah, and it's it's just a beautiful story, and um, knowing this person and that how that touched her was. Um, you know, it's, it's really humbling. I'm really honored to be a part of this. And I just, I, I'm just in awe of what God is doing. <laughs> so. It is quite amazing. Let's go and say hello to our special guest tonight. Ezra Snow. How are you tonight, sir? Good evening, bro chacho and bro chachettes. How y'all doing? <laughs> great um, we can't wait for you yeah great now that you're here it's good to hear yeah. your voice again i hope y'all brought the you always bring a smile yeah buddy i hope y'all brought popcorn grab yourself a drink grab a coffee we're gonna you know we're gonna laugh we're gonna cry um we're gonna praise the lord so i really look forward to this opportunity thank y'all very much ron and mary burke and the team so lord bless you all in your houses Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Yes, you, uh, the honor is ours. You are a blessing to us. And and uh, the beautiful thing is, is you will be a blessing to somebody else as well, either here tonight or as they listen to a recording. Who knows, maybe years down the road. You are a blessing to us and you'll be a blessing to others. Thank you so much again for being here. We're very excited. You're welcome. Uh, so to start off, will you, uh, let's lead in. Uh, Mike, you want to lead us in prayer here, sir? Sure. 
Andrew, thanks for being here. I don't know you. You don't know me, but I'm looking forward to getting to know you. And uh, just thanks for coming on the show and sharing what God's done in your life. Let's go to prayer. Lord, thank you again for your mercy and your love that you have for us. It's everlasting love. And when we break our fellowship with you by sinning or whatever it may be, we know that we can always run to you and ask for forgiveness and restore that fellowship. We're just so thankful that you're that patient with us, that you love us that much, that you love sinners like us, unholy people like us. Um, what a What a blessing it is to be sons of God. Thank you for Jesus. What he's done on the cross for us is given us that free gift of eternal life and love. We thank you, thankful for Ezra this evening. We pray, Lord, that you would bless his testimony and that it would just show your love and what great things that you can do in someone's life. I know that you've done incredible things in my life, Ron's life and Mary's life and others. We've heard them, and we're looking forward to it again, to hearing what you've done in Ezra's life. Bless him, Lord. Bless his family. Bless our time together. Help everything that we say and do be honoring to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Amen, Mike. brother. Thank you. Uh, I want to follow that up with uh, own prayers. Um, as I get into my testimony, there's going to be some scars that are going to be... Um, Let's just say that Band-Aid or that whatever it's going to be is going to be ripped up. So, Lord, um, thank you for this opportunity. Lord, humble me. Let my story, let my testimony drive your Holy Spirit because the story is really about you, Lord. And it's not about me. Humble me, Lord. And thank you for all these people, this guest on here, Lord, that I've been friends with for the last three years in the darkest moment of time that. They get to finally hear my voice and they get to finally hear my testimony and great shout out to uh, Livin and Duncan and Jeff and all those folks that I've actively been, you know, part of hopefully a community that um, is the new remnant Lord, new wine, you know, new wine skin for the new wine for the new church. So thank you, Lord, and all your glory. Amen. All right. So I got the floor now, Ron. Yes. Uh, Mary, you want to strap this guy into the waterboarding table? <laughs> right? You want to get some water? All right. Oh, we do want to mention something. We want to mention something yes, real quick before, your mic. before the waterboarding. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, if anybody want, I'm going to be paying close attention in the chat. So if anyone has any prayer requests, we'll uh, address those at the end of it um, as a closing prayer. So if you have any prayer requests, if you could just tag me um, in the chat. And if you uh, have trouble with learning how to do that, I'll, I'll text it out or, or chat it out and how to do that. And uh, that way I can see it much quicker. So. Yeah, that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> okay. And if someone's got a prayer and, and uh, it's maybe too uncomfortable to speak about, you can just uh, type in uh, after you tag Mary unspoken, and that will be great. And we'll, we'll pray for you. Yep. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Mary.
Thank you, Mary. All right. Um, you know, this is going to be open door. Uh, I know I talk funny. <laughs> I know some of those Southern people and those people north of the border up in Canada that really can't understand my Bostonian accent. So feel free to um, jump and ask any questions. This is open door policy. Okay. Um, so let's see. Let me back up. Um, my story is quite like, I don't know, similar to as my younger days, similar to the book of Esther, where, you know, God wasn't really the center, center front of my household, but God was there the whole time. You guys get what I'm cooking? Um, and then I'll just, you know, pretty much this is a story of redemption. This is a story of relationship of earthly father, earthly son, uh, how much mentors meant to me considering where I came from. So if I could back up to the beginning, I don't even know why I'm here. Um, let's, just let's just state the fact. I was born in 1980 in Boston, Massachusetts, of course. Um, let's see, I was premature by two and a half months. My mother said, I think I didn't even weigh four pounds. I was so tiny. She could take one thumb, put it on one shoulder, wrap around my entire head, go the other shoulder. Wow. Uh, she, she had a friend. Uh, oh, the story gets better, Mary. She had a friend okay. who was a nurse and the nurse came to visit. She said, Joan, which is my mother. She's like, can I hold your son, Tommy? He's sure. And, uh, she had a seizure and dropped me. Yeah. Um, huh. Then, then, oh yeah, then it gets better. Then it goes to, um, at that time, my parents, so my father, um, he, Lord bless his soul. He's, 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 he's with the Lord going on a decade ago, come this April. Um, my, my old man was 82nd airborne in Vietnam. My old man saw some serious stuff and I never knew it until the day he drove me to North Carolina. He revealed all the truths of what occurred to him in his lifetime. And I'm going to reveal some of that. And what occurred to him while he is in Vietnam. Uh, my mother was a hippie at that time. Uh, I was the youngest of six. Um, I guess you call it a mixed family, but you know, growing up in the hood, if someone said that's your stepbrother, they get punched in the face. No offense. Uh, <laughs> oops, sorry, that that one slipped. Um, my mom was a hippie. Let's just say, out of uh, six children, four of the dads left. Yep, and here was my oh. father. He ended up sticking around and um, he was actually there for my uh, sister, Jamie, who's the uh, who's uh, the youngest daughter. So middle children. So she's about four years older than me. So he came on board when she was a baby, like an infant. That dad left. So my father fell in love with my mother. Um, and in that time, when I was born as well, my uh, my siblings, my brothers and sisters, they got taken away from the state. So my parents were homeless when I was born. And not only did I get dropped that day, when they got in the car, they got in a major car accident on the way to the motel that they were staying at. So they were staying when I was an infant between motels and in the car with me. Oh, wow. And um, my parents, you know, they apparently they ended up um, – getting out of that game, that party game back in the eighties. Now at this point when I was a child, because of um, things called cocaine got really difficult, you know, it became booming. So they realized that they weren't going anywhere. So by the time I was one years old, we moved into public housing projects. I was a hood rat. So we moved there when I was one years old outside of Boston. Um, 
And from there, um, you know, we lived and listen to all these testimonies, Ron, you know, listen to yeah. uh, all of you guys. I've been listening to all. There's a commonality here. There's there's brokenness. Um, yes. There's there's parenting issues, earthly issues. No father's present. Not the right father. There's um, drugs, alcohol, shame, addiction, anger, all that. All that is a tapestry yes. in my upbringing, especially living in public housing. Um, so my father struggled to hold jobs because of his, uh, major PTSD that he had. So, um, there's lots of aunts and uncles that stepped in that helped raise my siblings and I, and I know that was a burden on them. So if any of them ever listen to uncle Johnny, uh, uncle Daisy, um, all my aunts and uncles, I just want to say a special shout out to them just to say, thank you so much for being a positive influence. Auntie Kathy. Auntie Trish and all them for trying to right the ship with all of us. So um, I'm going to go fast. I'm going to go slow. I'm going to jump in between and other things. So if I'm not clear, just please feel free to jump in, y'all. So I would okay. say my, my childhood was marred by violence. It was bloody. It was pretty much, if, if I could paint a picture eloquently, it would be the equivalent of Irish Spada in the projects I grew up with. I had. We had different pecking orders of um, people and houses. It was very like Game of Thrones-like. Uh, someone messed with your kin while well, you messed with them. The little brother disrespects an older brother. I'd have to go out there and take care of the little brother. Vice versa. I go out there. Older brother picks on me. Guess what? My mother would call out there, call all the crows. She'd literally just say, hey, you got six kids. I got six kids. Your kids are being bleeps. My kids are being bleeps. So let's go ahead. Let's settle it. And we would literally have a prize fight from the youngest to the oldest and the best family won. I can guarantee you we landed on top. I like to say this. I that believe one of my, that. <laughs> one of my sisters arguably is, was the third toughest dude in my town. And that was after my two oldest brothers. <laughs> uh, that so, you with us, it, you, you guys look like a rough bunch. I definitely wouldn't have picked and fight with anyone in your family, including the girls <laughs> up there. That's, yeah, I would say that yeah. for sure. And, and, yeah. and you, you're one of the youngest ones in the group, and you look the toughest, to be honest. I oh, was yeah. most scared of you in the picture. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's why I sent it. That picture is like that book all sold about the Boston family. I mean, like the, the show Shameless like that. My wife was watching Shameless. She'd be like, this is your family. My father loved that show before he died. It was oh, like my father. My father was in a dirtbag like that guy. But I did have buddies, dads who are just like that. Come up, come from prison. You don't see them for a couple of years. They show up and it's just like, man. You know, 95% of the neighborhoods don't have freaking dads and stuff like that. So there's a lot of brokenness. There was a lot of addiction. Um, moms working side jobs. Moms having friends. I mean, my best friend, Charlie, his mother would send him over to my house. So my mother couldn't whoop Charlie's butt because Charlie stepped out of bounds. And his dad was a deadbeat dad. I mean, his dad, like literally, guys, I'm six years old. You know, Ron, you said this last night as we did our sound check is like, you know, something about sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Sexual addiction was in my life. I'm six years old. I got a buddy's dad who's full grown in his underwear, watching porn, drinking beer and smoking weed in front of me and my buddy, Charlie. And he's threatened to beat us if we didn't sit there and watch it with him. Yeah. 
So oh, yeah. that's that's the type of stuff. Sorry if you guys are getting wind. I got my bows on. I'm outside. I got a fire going. So it's a little windy. So my apologies if you guys are getting wind. Can you guys hear me all right? Oh, yeah. We can hear you perfect. Sounds okay. great. Yeah, just fine. Thank you. Awesome. So, you know, I would say Charlie was a dearest friend of my heart, man. And, and we went through some struggle times. And I had to confront a friend that stole him. And me and that kid got in an epic fight one day after school. <laughs> and then uh, Charlie, my mother brought Charlie down to karate. She's like, Charlie, you need karate. Charlie's like, no, I don't. And so he dropped him off karate and karate saved his life. You know, 15 years later, Charlie was the top black belt, striped this, that, and Kempo karate national champion. He, he was, had a dojo, everything, man. And, uh, he was my boy. Unfortunately, you know, I have, I have a lot of friends that are now six feet under luckily Charlie's still with us, but a lot of friends end up getting addicted, um, from the upbringing we had, uh, alcohol, led to weed, led to cocaine. Cocaine got too expensive. They couldn't hold their jobs. They started stealing stuff. They started taking pills. Then they got snake bitten. Then the H started rolling around. So um, my brother and I, a couple of years ago, stopped counting. I stopped counting at 35 deaths, y'all. There is a truly, truly major issue. And now with this fentanyl in this country, yeah. that it's just wiping away generations. Half of my generation where I grew up is six feet in the ground now. Yeah. So I don't know, you know, guys, like for some odd reason, God seeked me at an early age. And I'm so glad that when he came knocking literally on the door, I finally was like, there's got to be something greater than this. So uh, I give, you know, I give a shout out to all my dead friends that, you know, uh, and all the ones that are struggling today. So I pray for them to have addiction, you know, the addiction to go away. Um, It's just really rough. Um, So let's see. Let's see what saved me as a young child. Football, a violent sport, of course, right? (laughs) So that was a great place for my anger. You know, listen to MSN's um, testimony. Sounds like he has a similar pathway as mine. And when he made that Mm -hmm. comment about the violence in which we're capable of, he was spot on because there's something that I can honestly say that an outlet that football was football was like the legal way from for me as a young boy to just let everything go and i had great coaches and they said if you show up to practice you get your three-point stance right you snap the ball right you listen you work hard you got to move up the depth chart and we don't care who the superstar is and we won a state championship in Papawana, and we competed every year the, the group of buddies i was with and uh that was just unbelievable because um, I had coaches at an early age that really leaned into me and um, I was blessed to meet a couple of them as an adult and the feedback I got and the feedback I was able to give them as a mature adult was just a powerful moment of just, you know, mentorship and, and hardship that we encountered together and victory and defeat. And um, I owe, I owe a lot to the game of football. Um Let's see. So all me and my brothers, we played football. We played sports growing up. We were highly competitive. Um, I was a knucklehead in school. Uh, I was always in trouble. I was the kid that was always in the principal's office. I always, you know, I walk in the principal's office. They knew who I was. They knew who my mother was. And there'd be days where the principal would be like, Tommy, 
I'm not calling your mother today because I'm not dealing with her. (laughs) (laughs) So they would literally sit me in a corner. And I think this is how I I started intelligently getting book smart, dead serious. They would sit me in a corner and they'd say, you got to do all your homework for today. And eventually I ended up at the principal's office so much, I literally finished in one sit down in a whole day, my entire math curriculum. I think I was in like first grade. They were like, dude, what are you doing? And I was like, here you go. And they're like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, I've been in detention all this time. So I decided to do all my homework for the year. Teachers were blown away. Um, So I had idle hands. And if if I, you know, if if I wasn't moving, doctors said I had ADHD, ADD, whatever it is. It's whatever. I was born in the image of God. And um, that I had to be active. I had to have my hands busy. I loved tinkering when I was a kid. My father was a mechanic. And I remember when he was I think I was like five years old. He kept on getting pissed off about me. But something about those military guys, man. My father literally in his toolbox, he had all his wrenches and all his screws. Everything was laid out to a T. Y'all, I swear. I used to go in there, use his tools, and place them back in the same spot. And he'd come home and he'd whip my ass and he'd say, sorry, Ron. And he'd say, you mess with my wrenches again. I'm like, how did he know that? How did he know that? So what he did is he actually, for my uh, sixth Christmas, he – um. He bought me a toolbox, and I would have to say oh, okay. that tool, I would have to say that own toolbox that he pinstriped in his own pinstripe hand. He wrote Tommy, put a football number, and he did these designs. And uh, I would say between football and that toolbox, that's what's really saved my life as a boy and as a young man. Um, I would say there was the dark side as well, y'all. I'm going to get to the dark side of my upbringing and now come to the light side. And I'll try to do this as fast as I can. So the dark side is this. Take your time. However long God wants you to talk, we're here. Okay. So so the dark side is this. There was sexual abuse at some point with some of my siblings from a neighbor. Um, That's truth. There was hearsay, but something happened in my life, and my mind got fractured, and I called a sibling, and I said, hey, I know it. There was instances where I remember as – so my my parents got sober when I was four, four – between like four and five, and I have vivid memories, first memories of my life of like um, – you know, there was a time when – my father threw my mother down a set of stairs. Sat a beating her with something. I stood up, told him not to do it. There was times where my oldest brother, who's being a knucklehead always, and my father always had high expectations of him. And my, the way my father was raised from his dad, you know, you got to remember this. Scott talks about it a lot, about what war does to families. So my grandfather... On my father's side was in the U.S. Navy in World War II. He, unfortunately, had to close a hatch when his ship got hit. I think he was in a destroyer, I want to say. Got hit by a torpedo. He was the one that had to close the hatch to save the whole ship, so his friends died. And that scar that got passed on generationally. My father ended up in Vietnam because... 
that's, he revealed this when I was moving down to North Carolina, and, I, and I'll get to that, but I'll just reveal it right now. Is my father had to join Vietnam because it was either go to go to jail slash prison or go to Nam. My father was like, "All right, I'm going to go in the army. I'm going to be boots on the ground." Um, well, when he was a child, apparently the chief of police where he grew up molested him and all the kids in his neighborhood. And his oh, best wow. friend and his best friend called him up one day. Said, I'm going to blow my brains out. My father said, no, you know, he ran over there, saved his best friend's life. A couple weeks or months later, unfortunately, my father wasn't home and the phone rang. And his best friend offed himself, unfortunately. Oh, wow. So he was a 17-year-old young man going off to that war with all these problems. And then what transpired when he came back, you can only imagine it just compounded everything. So, with that being said, um, my parents sobered up. Um, my father walked in the house one day, threatened to leave my mother. He said, Joni, I'm gone. I said, I'm leaving you. She's like, why? You can't do it. Everybody else left me. He's like, listen, this whole drinking thing, this partying thing ain't working out. There's more to life than this. And um, I'm officially sober. I went to my first AA meeting. I'm sober 24 hours, and I want to make it 48 hours. Oh, you got 24 hours that. to make your decision. Exactly, Mary. And uh, my mother my mother had a 24-hour segment, and she's confided me in this. as like she was blown away. So she was fear of losing him. So she showed up to the next AA meeting. From there, they ended up becoming the neighborhood, actually community champions in my town of starting an AA chapter. And I remember going to football practice on the way home, riding my bike. I'd stop by the AA meeting, eat cookies and drink coffee and listen to these adults talk about what has happened in their lives. And then our parents sent us to Alateen and Al-Anon and things like that. So we were well aware, me, my siblings, my brothers, sisters, and I, of of what the negative impact it could be living a lifestyle like that. However, we all still went down that road because we too were weird sons and daughters. Um, so from there, they sobered up. My mom became a strong champion in the community, really strong. I was uh, in that photo, Ron and Mary, that I sent y'all. That was my mother's first, first graduation from RN school. Get a load of this. Here we are living in the projects on welfare. My mother pulled us out of the Catholic church because one day she showed up and they're like, hey, Joan, we got to talk. Uh, you got a tithe. My mother's like, I got a tithe. She's like, I'm going to school full time. I got six fat, bleak, crazy kids. I got a husband who battles PTSD from Vietnam who can't hold a job down. He's doing everything he can. And she's like, not only am I going to school, I work full time. And she volunteered at the largest homeless shelter in and all of Boston, of Pine Street Inn. And, and the Catholic Church still wanted her to tie the all. Wow. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> so I remember that day. That was like a celebration. It was Sunday school. She came ripping in through the door. She's like, Tommy Bryan, gone. We're out of here. We're like, Ma, we got Sunday school. She's like, not no more. Grab your bikes with, with ghosts pretty much. We were high-fiving each other. We were like, bye, nuns. <laughs> bye, Felicia. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we uh, – 
we, 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 man, we used to on Sunday, my parents used to make us all go to church. We all dress up. We go in there. We played football in the side yard. And, and by the way, y'all, we went to the rich persons, what we call the rich persons Catholic church. Cause it was closest one of the projects and it was the next town over. It was literally a 15 minute walk. And I don't think that the, 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 the wealthy constituents of that church of the flock really liked these hood rats from the next town coming over. I think that's what really came, you know, they weren't yeah, doing God's work. You weren't appreciated that much there, were you? No, no, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Man. If anyone wants to take uh, a look at this rough bunch, you, you want to see this picture we keep talking about. This is on our Telegram. <laughs> this is an official podcast. <laughs> look that up and look at this rough, rough bunch. Uh, oh, yeah. Please yeah, do absolutely. so. Beautiful, beautiful family photo. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. It, uh Man, I, I remember when I was like, what was it, five years old at Easter Sunday? My oldest brother's, all right, we're going to laugh now. My oldest brother's like, come over, and I idolize them. I'm like, come here, Tommy. And I'm like, what's up? They're like, turn around. I turn around. Y'all, they pants me in front of the whole congregation, undies and all. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Wow, that's wow. <laughs> my mother lost it the priest flipped out the priest stopped mass it's like get out of here oh uh, uh, yeah that's not the cool things to do in church let's just say i don't do that in church that's good <laughs> i keep my pants on mary <laughs> okay uh so uh anyways i just want to you know lift this up with some laughter here um yeah so yeah yeah my parents they ended up becoming champions in the community um my mother ended up opening a multi-learning service center in our projects she started working with our local uh councilman our town council in our town she started getting funding at the state level because she got sick and tired of seeing since there was a nine-year gap between me as the youngest and the oldest it's almost like my mother had a split generation of children that she got to see what the system would do by pushing kids along and it didn't benefit anybody, specifically the kids when they went to adulthood because then they couldn't get jobs, they got stuck in the system. And that's what happened to my oldest brother, got stuck in the system. He's, you know, unfortunately he still can't get out of the rut. But uh, when it came to me and my brother, Brian, the two youngest, it's like my mother was doing everything she could to ensure that my brother and our friends didn't end up the same way as my other brothers and the older kids did. But unfortunately, the same thing happened. Um, my mother was such, um, she believed in education. I mean, she went through a lot. Um, you know, her family too, you know, through war for this nation as well. Um, her family took the ultimate sacrifice too. In World War II, she lost my, so my grandfather, who I believe was the youngest son or the second, yeah, I think he was the youngest, the second youngest son. Um, at one point in World War II, there were four sons in the U.S. Army on my mother's side for my grandfather, his brothers. Two of them, I can close the loop on this one, two of them made the ultimate sacrifice. One died in the Alps um, in theater, uh, crashed, helicopter, plane crashed. The other one died in training in California, and both of them were the upper echelon one percenters of this entire world. Both of them graduated top of their class at their local high school in Arlington High. There's a center named after him, Downing, Downing Square in Arlington, Mass. Go look it up. It's my great uncles. 
Wow. Both of them graduated top of their class. Both ended up getting their undergrad degrees between West Point and I think it was Harvard. Uh, one was a, a mechanical engineer, one was electrical engineer, and then they got their master's degrees as well. And they were both captains in the U.S. Army. Well, they died. You know, in that whole and then previous before that, all my lineage were warriors. You know, <laughs> I, I my boy killed the Christian saying it all the time. I think him and I might be related to kin somehow, because him and Conley, well, because even those warriors go all the way back to my Irish root days. You know, there was a, um, I could go on and on about my heritage, but, um, you know, that did create huge gaps, huge scars in my family and, um, huge voids. I mean, my, my, my mother's family fell into desolation after that, to be quite frank, raging alcoholism. My grandmother would beat my grandfather. My mother would have to sleep in her car to kids in the freezing winter of Massachusetts. I remember when I was a little child, my father would come home. My Nana would take a cab over absolutely trashed on whiskey. She'd beat up my father. It's like, wow, what a loving family. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, my, my parents, they started healing through AA and, th- and through the 12-step program. And, you know, and through AA, they talk about the creator. You know, in essence, what they're looking at is the father. They're not looking at the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, but it gave them an opportunity to reflect about how they should go forward in their lives. So my father ended up getting his associate's degree uh, from community college diesel mechanics he got a cdl um you know the the kids in the hood looked up to my parents i mean my father literally had all these hood rats all these boys the majority of all of them had dad deadbeat dads he throws us in the back of the pickup truck and we go to the woods we'd go walking he'd teach us survival skills he, he would teach us the army ranger handbook of survival all these little hood rats we'd be building lean twos learning how to light fires learning how to stalk learning how to evade learning about uh, hibernation, you know, snow, leaves, all that, how to, t- how to take away your footsteps. He would teach me and my brother Brian and my sister's marksmanship. I would hunt, you know, even though we, even though we grew up right outside of Boston, we were really rednecks to be quite frank. We had mini bikes, we had dirt bikes. Uh, my father, since he couldn't hold the job down, how he would survive, put food on the table for the family is we would go to the junkyard and we would take, say, five lawnmowers, and he'd build two of them, and he'd sell one and keep one for us so we could cut the yard in the projects because my mother said, I'm sick and tired of this place looking like a hellhole. While I'm living here, it's going to be home. So we would do our own shoveling. We would do our own lawn maintenance. We grew our own garden around the house in our project apartment. They rented a plot of land next town over at Med State, Belmont, and got about a 20-foot by 25 foot plot of land for water in that land per month was like $15 a month. And how I got to know my father more and, and how I got my hobby and love of gardening was through him because as he was dealing with his own, you know, his recovery of his addiction, he, there was a lot of anger. And with that anger came, he would go down the line of kids. You want to come me? Everybody said, no, I was the youngest. He's like, Tommy, let's go. So I literally go there, learn how to plant, how to sow, how to get winterized stuff. And we go for walks, drive dirt bikes out there. We had a great time. Um, and then I have to say, go ahead. Sorry. Very great. Go, Ron. 
just saying that's beautiful that's great it was a great way to get to uh, get close to your father but also learn something there's nothing like learning something from your father yeah yep yeah it's, it's something you carry with you forever Amen a special that. time with dad you know yeah yep and and, yeah. It, and that's a and that's a true reflection of an earthly father reflecting what the godly father wants us out of us right right uh right. so then i was I was blessed if I can move my high school days, I was blessed because in my hometown, there was a stigmatism with project kids, you know? So my mother made us all. So uh, I went to a regional vocational school and it was the best thing that ever happened because then my mother convinced all the other project moms, the benefits of, hey, you should send your kids to vocational school because A, they're not gonna pay attention to regular high school, they're gonna waste their time, they're not gonna accomplish anything, but if they learn a trade, that's invaluable. They'd be able to get out of the projects. So my mother was like a visionary. So all of us project kids, 95% of us went to the local trade school. Um, I was blessed. I took collision repair auto body. I was blessed with some mentors, some phenomenal mentors. I remember walking in the first day. He was this knuckleheaded kid who barely can keep C's and had one on roll before I left middle school. <laughs> I'll have to tell that story another time. How I went from D's and F's to A's in one semester. Shoot, I'll just say it right now. So I failed a class for the first time. I went home. My father whooped my butt. My mother whooped my butt. I'm in seventh grade. And uh, my mother's like, I had enough of you, Tommy. I had enough of you being in an environment with your friends and, and you just being bad. She's like, this is it. She's like, Chanley, go to the, go to the junkyard. Go find a desk. You're going to put that desk in that corner and Tommy's going to come home. He's going to do his homework every single freaking day. He can't play sports. He can't play until all his homework's done. And you need to check it. My father was even looked at me. My father, Mary, he was like, he, he was so angry at me because now he had to do something because I was so far out of bounds. Yep. Got my butt whooped again by him. Yeah. And it, it was the best thing that ever happened because what occurred then was within one, within one, whatever quarter it was is, I went pretty much from a DNF student to honor roll and it never happened to the point that they had my mother and me sit in front of the superintendent with counselors and professionals and doctors. And they're trying to ask my mother, how'd you do it? My mother's response was, let's see, I whooped his bleep. His father whooped his bleep. His father got a desk out of the trash. And this is what we did. She's like, I knew he was always intelligent. That's the only way I could do it. I had to break him. And now I want to show him how freaking smart he is. And the superintendent looks over and superintendent's like, Joan, Joan, you can't talk like that. And, and, and no, the school can't do it. My, and my mother was like, you guys can beat my son. Hit him like they used to hit us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I have a question. A, yeah. Go. So where at this point were like your parents with, you know, in their faith or, you know, mm -hmm. where were you in your faith? You mentioned that you were in the Catholic church for a while yep. and then left there. So at this point, where were you um, as far as, you know, having a relationship with God or. That, that's or... a great question. That's a great question. Copy that. Um, so I would say, I thought that what my family was going through and what they'd gone through, I thought, to be quite frank, uh, full transparency here, I thought God didn't like us. And yeah. um, I truly, as a, as, a, as a child, I was angry. I truly was. Even in that photo, you see my fist is clenched, you know, and I'm like, man, 
what what did we do to deserve this? Woe is me, right? Woe is me, blah, blah, blah. You know, right. how come my dad's not an NFL superstar and we got a million dollars in a Lambo, you know? Yeah. Uh, but that was all false, false stuff that Hollywood and the world was selling us. Um, but for my parents, I guess when it started changing is when we would go into the woods and I would see a change in both my parents. Like they literally had to go for their walks and they would go in the woods and they would walk for miles and they wanted to be together at some moments. And then they both would break up and then they'd make us kids break up. And there was a transformation in them both when they got into nature, they got calmer. Um, they got more focused. They were more loving and caring because to be quite frank, they weren't, they both came to such broken families and broken issues that, um, that it cascaded, it started cascading down to this generation, but they started making a correction. And right. I, 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 I truly started seeing the greater picture of father, Mary as father, the creator through mm. their trans, through their transformation. And other people did too. And that's a great question because it's a great segue into now moving into high school. Um, I had a unbelievable two instructors, Mr. Kaufman and Mr. Kurt. Lord bless them and thank you so much for putting them in my life. And also Mr. Eric Anderson, a mentor of mine who has graduated, who was one of my sister's friends, who stayed to mentor me in football and also stayed to mentor me in uh, collision repair. So in comes Mr. Kurt and Mr. Kaufman. And Mr. Kurt was my Yoda. He was, I don't even think Mr. Kurt's five feet tall, y'all. And man, did did he make an impact on young men. That guy poured into me. He used to live in Watertown, where I grew up down the street. So he knew all about the hood rats. And in comes a kid like me. Mr. Kaufman grew up similar like me. And they would just constantly hold me accountable. And they, they, they were very difficult. They created a culture of winning in that collision repair program. I remember the first time I walked in, they had banners. Things were painted. The floor was painted. They had banners there of national champion, Eric Anderson gold, Eric Anderson silvers junior year, and then like a litany of other silver and bronze medal winners for national competitions. And when I walked in there, I was like, dude, I want to be one of those guys. This is like the Notre Dame of auto body. This is great. I get to weld. <laughs> I get to paint cars. What? And I get to play football. I get to go to class only w- once a week. And then I go to trade school once a week. It was like Disneyland for me, y'all. It really was. Yeah. And uh, I awesome. remember my senior year for national competition. So I won gold in competition for Massachusetts and Vocational Industrial Clubs of America. And if you win gold, you get to move on to nationals. That's a big deal. That was like going to Kansas City. Like I was going to take my first plane ride. This is poor kid from the hood. Going to jump on a plane and fly to this foreign land called Kansas City, Missouri, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember spending my time with George, my instructor, my Yoda. And my days, my senior year, where wake up at 530, jump on the bus go to my school. This is after all my brothers and buddies, pretty much all the graduations done. They're all partying and having a great time. And here I am with George from 6.30 a.m. ish. I'm training. I'm paying it forward now to all the freshmen that came in the vocational program. I'm actually mentoring them now, the freshmen and sophomores and juniors. 
and I'm washing cars and I'm detailing cars during the day and mentoring them so I could earn enough money for our trip to be able to go to Kansas City. And after all that was done, George and I would stay from about 3 o'clock, 3.30, all the way sometimes till 10, 11, 12 in the morning, getting prepared for this national competition. And we'd jump in his car late at night, and we would bebop to his house, which is the next town over from me. His wife would have cooked meals for us. And in between leaving the shop and going to his house, we're both burnt out. He would put inspirational cassettes in of Lou Holtz, of pastors, of Billy Graham, of biblical stuff about biblical stories. And George would pour into me, and he would tell me things like, one day you're going to be a great man, Tommy. That life we come from, he's like, and he and he was such a positive influence. His wife would literally cook us dinner. We would eat dinner. We would talk game plan. Then he would drive me home to the projects where I live. And I remember by the time I got home, most, most nights it was midnight, and I used to have to watch these manufacturing videos of how they built cars. And I would stay up till like 3 in the morning, y'all. And then I would start over again. This was like four months period of my time getting preparations for this big time national competition and in it mary was god yeah. put a mentor in my life a spiritual awesome. biblical mentor and he poured his soul into me and i i i, I george that guy i love that guy so much we still stay in contact and eric for him and all he did Eric went into the Army, National Guard. He came back. He ended up becoming my quarterback coach because he was the quarterback of the team. And if Eric went to any other school other than our vote school, Eric would have went Division One. Kid was freaking six foot three, six foot four. Could throw a football seventy yards, run a four, freaking four forty. He could throw a baseball eighty five, ninety miles an hour. Just he went to a small vote school, and he didn't come from a well known family or go to a good program. But Eric poured into me. He poured into me all his knowledge from when he went to the national championship. He would pour into me in football. And um, unfortunately for me, there was one fateful night. I let my hair down and went to go party with my friends. I put my hand through a window. Ended up two weeks before national competition with 11 stitches in my index finger, nine stitches in my other finger, and three in my thumb. And I tore the ligaments out. Oh, and. I remember the look in my father's eyes the next morning I woke up. He went to go choke me out. My mother jumped in between us. He's like, what happened? He's screaming at me and he just starts crying. He's like, listen, you got these guys, this program, everybody put in you and you want to be a blank knucklehead? He's like, I'm going to rip your head off your shoulders. My mother's like, no, you're not. Call my sister Jamie. She's like, Jamie, get your daughter Taylor in the car. At that time, Taylor was my niece. Jamie had Taylor when she was 18. So I was an uncle at 15. Threw my niece in the car. She, I cried the whole way to Vogue School on a Saturday morning. She said, George, we got a problem. I was crying in the car. George was there and Eric was there. And, and we just all cried together. It was just like, what are you doing, Tommy? And we just wept. And then George, about 15, 20 minutes in, he's just like, all right, we got to punt. Now we got to figure out how to get you to be able to weld in all three positions and weld galvanized steel and, and how to sand and fix dents and how to do everything with, uh, you know, missing two fingers and a thumb. 
So he literally went to work. And, and the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm crying, woe is me again. And he's over there cutting my welder glove off, the, the, the main figure. And he's stitching something else on. And he's making all these gloves. He's like, try this on, try this on. And the pain I was in and the pain, he's like, no, you got to work through it. And, man, he custom made all of my type of PPE gloves. And he looked at me and he grabbed me by the face. I'm like, George, I can't do this. I'm sorry. I let you down. He just whispered to me. He's like, I'm not giving up on you. We've, we've come too far. And he's like, this is going to teach you something in life that's going to stick with you. He's like, let's go do this. And I was like, George, I'm not going to place. I'm not going to place. And he's like, it's not about placing. He's like, listen, only three people place, gold, silver, and bronze. He's like, did you know out of this entire competition, there's 22 plus thousand students across this nation that put in for this competition? And you already beat three quarters of them? And you're just going to give up? I'm not going to allow you to give up. And uh, we went to nationals. And um, let's just say with George's mentorship and leadership and not giving up on me, I remember eating breakfast that morning. I felt like I was going to throw up. There was so much pressure. He just looked at me. He's like, relax. He's like, this competition, just like in football, this competition can be held any other day of the week at a different time, and the outcome could be different. He's like, I just want to let you know that I love you. And you just go do the best you can. You got a hot like a lion, Tommy. Just go do it. Just go be proud. Make your parents proud. And, man, he lit a fight under my ass, y'all. And I crushed it. I, ended up, I think I lost by 0.9 points on a 900-point scale. I finished second place. Got a medal in front of 16,000 people. Wow. And um, wow. George literally told me in that breakfast meeting, y'all, before that, he said, listen, the only person that's going to beat you is somebody that grew up in a body shop that their uncle or their father owned. He said, everybody else, you're going to smoke them. And he was right. I'm standing in line. I'm so happy. I look to the dude. I go shake the dude's hand that won gold medal. And the dude was missing a finger, y'all. I'm dead serious. <laughs> I look down. I, I, I look at his hand. He looks at my hand. I'm like, what happened to you? He goes, oh, I was at my uncle's body shop where my dad and I grew up, where my dad raised me. And uh, I was being a knucklehead little boy, and I lost a finger doing something I wasn't supposed to. And they turned away. I was like, are you serious? Did George make this up? <laughs> Did George like pay this kid off in this situation? Yeah. So it, it was like I I do right then and there there was something so much greater in life just through George's commitment, his vision, what he poured into me. And uh was he a Christian? Yes, he was. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Because he he was the one that would drive me around, listen to Billy Graham and listen to these biblical things of being positive yeah. and being a true person with being you know ethical and having integrity and in the word of the lord so he was the first like man of faith that i ever met outside of my uncle john um johnny i'm sorry um so yeah um from there i got selected to uh represent the united states in international competition the international version called of uh, skills usa called george and was like hey he's he's i think it was the frame repair frame pulling frame uh, analytics and all that and structural stuff and 
Uh, apparently, I got selected to represent us for that in Canada. And George told him, he said, listen, I appreciate the offer, but Tommy's gone, Tommy's gone to college. And Tommy needs to go to college. He's very intelligent. And I want him to go get his degree. And he didn't tell me that until years later that I got selected to compete internationally. Um, so th this is when it all goes downhill, y'all, <laughs> for me. Um, well, there's always a valley before there's a mountain. Yeah, yeah, exactly, Mary, exactly. And uh, let's just say I committed myself to such high performance. I did really well academically in high school, sports and everything else. When I got out of there and I got into college, let's just say I let my hair down and let's just say I was part of a rock band. Uh, all the sex, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But unfortunately, I wasn't a musician, y'all. <laughs> uh, I was playing air guitar. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Um, one thing led to another, living that life, you know. Um, I'm just going to say this with my chest. Um Let's just say that I went so far off the deep path that I ended up dropping out of college, transferred to another one. We partied, did all that stuff. My grades dipped. I had like a, I don't know, combined 1.8 GPA and already two years in. And all my buddies in folk school making lots of money, either union worker this, union worker electrician, mechanic, plumber. They're making money. I'm in college getting in debt. And finally, my oldest brother comes to me, Mike, and he's like, dude, you got to stop this. He's like, dude, he's like, you're going to shut this down. Mom's going to be pissed at you. He's like, you're going to come move in with me. You're going to go to the old summer job over at the body shop next town over for me. And I don't got a car yet, but guess what? My wife's going to drop you off every day. So he threw my nieces and nephews in the car. And... Luckily, I had an older brother that, that 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 believed in me and knew of me. I was out of bounds, and he knew I was going to throw everything away, and I was pissing it away, y'all. Um, and his wife, ex-wife, um, would drive me, put her three kids in the car, and then until I could save up enough money, get my own car. Um, and then from there, you know, I started making good money. Uh, unfortunately, um, my lifestyle uh, – <laughs> I wasn't mature enough and I started making good money with the skills I had. And let's just say that that was the worst thing that could ever happen to me now, because then I had all this income and I was working, fixing cars on the side, making cash. And I had an appetite for something. And before you know it, I start dealing drugs. Um, let's just say, uh, unfortunately I was a bad drug dealer. So thank you, Lord, very much. Cause my ex-girlfriend and my brother and all my buddies would do all the drugs and I end up with the bill. So, uh, from there, um, ended up going to Red Sox game one night. That's where it got really interesting. Y'all, um, to play the Texas Rangers 2001. It's in July. Let's just say one of my buddies is married, hitting on some girls drunk after the game. There's about 20 of us. And let's just say, before you know it, somebody's getting choked outside the bar. Like, you know, someone else is getting choked outside the bar. Me and my brother were always the ones like, hey, we're always going to be the peacekeeper. Let's just let us go on the way. But you, we're the last ones y'all want to mess with. But we're just going to go on our way. 
Well, unfortunately, at this time, there was 15 people outside of Lansdowne Street, right behind the Green Monster. And uh, let's just say that by the time I turned around, I saw somebody on the ground. And my ex-girlfriend and my buddy, my best friend, were trying to hold me back. And I said, who's on the ground? I said, it better be blank who, who started this whole mess because he's hitting on a girl he shouldn't have ever been. And they're like, you, need, you, you just got to go, Tommy. And um, that whole thing when I told you I, I grew up in an Irish spider, got, used to got hit by full-grown men, older brothers, used, friends used to mm-hmm. catch us and beat us. Let's just say by the time I evaded them, by the time I got in between two vans, I saw who was on the ground. It was my brother getting his head kicked in by 15 bounces. Oh, wow. And his head was getting banged off the concrete. Um, so let's just say if you guys ever saw Batman Dark Knight, let's just say, be, let's just say all intention and purposes, I became Batman. Um, thought my brother died. I started grabbing dudes off by the back of their faces and started pounding them. I was smart enough and all the fights I got is, you, you know, just like you never break up a dog fight leaning forward. I was smart enough knowing, knowing, knowing how much I love my brother. If I went straight and forward to him, then I'll end up with him and I need to find a way to extract him. So luckily, growing up in Sparta, I knew how to fight one-on-one. I knew combat and I knew how it's pretty much Kyle McGraw, to be honest with y'all. Street Kyle McGraw. So it's very unfortunate that every time I peeled somebody off, I could see my brother's head bounce off the pavement. So by the time I got about five or six of them off and did damage to a bunch of others, by the time I can get to him and drag him away, they're punching me and kicking him in the back of the head. And now there's more bounces. Now it's me holding on my brother, who I think is dead, calling on my friends to get him out of there. I got him up. I got him awake. He jumps up. He doesn't know where he is. I'm smacking him in the face. He's got blood coming out of his ears, blood coming out of his eyes, blood coming out of his mouth. He's got a hole in his lip. He's got his tooth sticking out of his hole. He's got blood coming out of his nose. He finally gains consciousness. There's a random lady in a bike. Must have been an angel or something. She yells out, hey, 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 I saw everything. This is what happened. She's yelling at me. I said, my brother needs care. She said, I'm a nurse. I was like, my brother needs care, and I have to go. I was like, I am not ending up in jail over this. I am not ending up for assault because of this bullcrap thing that went down. And these dudes try to kill my brother. And she's like, I saw everything. I'm a witness. So she takes him. She starts walking off. Now my brother's like 30, 40 feet away from me, guys. Out of nowhere, here comes Boston PD coming in sideways. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Oh. So cops come flying out. First cop comes flying out. Tells my brother, stop. I yell, he needs medical attention. He needs to go. Brian, run. He was still confused. He's like, what am I doing? And the lady's like, I got you. So the lady's lady's like, you need to go to the hospital. I'm taking you. And she's yelling at him. So he starts walking away. And the cop yells, you better stop. You better stop. Get over here. My brother's crossing the street with this nice Samaritan lady or angel or whatever she was. Lord, thank you. Unfortunately, as my brother was crossing the street, this police officer decided to take my brother out and hit him in the head with a 
forearm shiver with his elbow straight to his dome piece. My brother went flying about five, 10 feet back and landed on his head again. I thought he died. And in full disclosure, what happened after that? Let's just say I was looking at two to three years in prison, y'all, after what happened that night. Hard time. Yeah. And unfortunately for me, that was July 2001, and I just turned 21 years old. I had this bright future ahead of me, and I went from being a hero to a zero in a negative zero. Um, they pushed my court date back, the first one. And um, unfortunately, the first day I appeared in court was September 19th or something like that after September 11th happened. So I got everything thrown at me by the judge, every single book, everything. I hired a court appointed lawyer, thought that guy was on my side. Nope, learned a lesson the hard way. Um, and in that time of when that happened, I was trying to follow my ex-girlfriend down, down here to North Carolina, just get out of that environment, y'all. Just because even my father and my mother would tell me, they're like, you got to get out of here. Just go. It's like some goodwill hunting crap, like dead serious. It's like you stick around here, nothing's, nothing's good going to happen to you, Tommy. So, oh, in the middle of that, um, his girlfriend left. She moved down here. I was doing all that legal stuff. Fortunately enough, m my mother decided to hire her friend lawyer because she knew I was getting railroaded. And uh, let's just say that th there is a level of accountability here, y'all. I did the crime. I had to do the time. Um, let's just say that somebody could have fixed what happened that night. There was a family member on my father's side that was a high-up detective in Boston PD that literally, y'all, it could have got fixed, quote-unquote. You know what my father my mother told me? We're not going to fix it. You want to know why? Because you need to be held accountable. And if you're not held accountable now, you're never going to learn a lesson in life, and you're going to continue to be destructive, and you're going to end up dead, or you're going to kill somebody. And my father said that, and my mother said that with tears in their eyes, rolling down their face to their youngest son that held so much promise. And that had to hurt them so bad. And you know something in hindsight? That's the best thing that ever happened to me. Dead serious. That happens a lot to people, I think. Mm -hmm. The worst you know, thing that happens turns out to be what God uses to, you know, change people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um let's just say eventually I did enough drug and alcohol counseling meetings and anger management classes that the judge on a Wrap of a gavel said you can move to North Carolina. So I was legally able to move to North Carolina at that point. So then I went from being a body technician to starting to write estimates because I wanted to learn the business side, how to do business. So I came down here to Raleigh, North Carolina area, 20, 21 going on 22. And um, I just remember my father dropped me off and him crying outside the apartment I had and everything he told that happened to him in Vietnam and in his life. And, um, of why he was the way he was and why he never celebrated his birthday. And um, He was supposed to sleep. He drove me the whole way down. It was like 13 hours. He slept all 30 minutes when he got to the apartment. He got up. He said, I got to leave. And I just remember as of yesterday, him sitting up his car. 
gets in the van, gets in the van, rolls the window down. He just starts bawling. I've never seen my father cry other than one other time. And he said, son, just like that time I told you at the boys club when I whipped your ass. Because you called that lady, you know what? And I did it in front of everybody else. And I told you, you have all this talent in this world and you got this all this ball. And he's like, you got to find a way to turn all that negative into something positive. And then when you do that, you're going to become something special. You need God. And this family is going, and here's another visionary moment. He said, and this family is going to need you to become a man. This family of our house. Because I'm not going to be here forever. And there's going to be nieces and nephews, and there's going to be your children. This lineage has dealt with so much. You are the wall. You're the wall. You can stop all of this. And I need you to do that. And he bawled, and I bawled, and he drove away. And that was a powerful moment. Um, then from there, um, my ex-girlfriend left me six months. I found a black little homeless pit bull female, Kaya. You know, it was me and this homeless pit bull, and girlfriend was gone. I'm in this foreign land. I'm crying, why do I need this? Why do I need this, God? Then I fell into depression. Then I fell into addiction again, bad, and called up one of my buddies. I said, I'm coming home. This was my buddy who was there that fateful night of that Boston night. He was my starting right tackle for football. I was QB1. And he was he went to war with me and my brother that night for my brother, and he ended up in cuffs too, unfortunately. And Big Red said, Tommy, you can't come back. And I'm bawling. I'm like, I got to come home. It's like, no, dude. No, you got to stay. I'm telling you, you have to stay. I'm like, no, Red, I got to come. He's like, no, Tommy, you got to stay. I know you're hurt. I know you're broken, but God has something for you. You're going to do great things. Just just stay, please, for me. And that night after I hung up that phone, y'all, the wind blew in my apartment. I had no money for heat or electricity at that moment. Literally living, no TV, nothing. I got a homeless cat I got and a homeless dog keep me warm at night with six blankets. And I just remember that cool night, a warm wind after I hung up that phone came in my bedroom and circled me. Wow. Oh, hey, sorry, y'all. Can you hear me? Yeah, we, you just, we lost you for just a few seconds. Hey guys, I, I right when you got to the warm wind and then it stopped. <laughs> yeah, I, I got like on the yeah, edge I of our a, seat. <laughs> I got a knucklehead buddy who keeps on trying to call me, and I'm like, bro, I'm texting him, like, don't call me right now, please. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> okay. So you were at the warm wind, came yeah, into your apartment, came in my apartment, and, and and wrapped me and hugged me, and there's a whisper that literally said. You are loved. And awesome. it was this 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 calm. And I just remember seeing the white the white curtains flickering and flickering. And it just held me. And I just wept. And I wept and I wept and I wept. And that was my really first spiritual encounter as a young 22-year-old man. And awesome. from there, after my girlfriend left me, her her uh father tom as well called me up one day and he said you know 
I'm praying to God about my daughter. She goes travel the world and you made the sacrifice to come down here. He's like, I, I'm going to come talk to you. And I'm like, bro, you don't need to come talk to me. She left me. And he's like, no, I'm coming. I hung up the phone. I'm like, well, what does he want to do with me? I moved down here for his daughter. Yeah, I, I have all this baggage I'm trying to deal with, but I moved down here for her. She leaves me. Now this dude wants to come talk to me. I'm like, what's up with that, bro, Chacho? No, I don't want to deal with anybody right now. I want to well on my own self-pity. And uh, he said, let's go for a walk, Tommy. And then we go outside and uh, we're going for a walk. And he looks at me. He's like, listen, I'm from Dorchester. I was a tough kid. He doesn't remember saying this. I remember this clear as day. He's like, you're a tough kid from Watertown. He's like, back in the day, you know, I take you to Matt. He's like, you know, be a good fight. He's like, because that's what I used to be, a brawler as well and a sinner, you know, um, you know, sexual deviant, all that. He's like, I know I know what you did with my daughter, and I know what your daughter, my daughter did with you. And he's like, it's wrong. He's like, I'm going to tell you why. That's who I used to be. That's not who I am. But let me tell you about the salvation of Jesus Christ. Awesome. And he literally said, as I'm praying to God for my daughter, God whispered to me and said, it's not about your daughter. It's the boy. Go to the boy. And he invited me, Mary, to church that following Sunday. I said, all right, come pick me up, broski. And he picks me up with his wife and his youngest son, Will, who's now been in the U.S. Marine Corps for 15 years. Marine recon as a, you know what, special operator. And, and Will's a devout Christian, and I just remember Will being younger than me, and he's a sophomore in high school at the time. And I just jump in the car. I'm like, "What's up?" He's like, "You coming to church with us, man?" He was excited. I was like, "Let's do this." So we go to the church, and it's non-denominational. And guys, no joke. I'm literally sitting there. Pastor gets up there. He's like, "Hey, I had this whole sermon written. Um, I'm gonna scratch that for next week. We're gonna punt." We got so-and-so family coming from Philippines. They've been there for the last year and a half, two years. There's been a major security issue. The Muslims have taken control of the country. They know what he's there, and there's actually a hit for him and his family now. So now he's here. He's about six months early, and uh, we're going to introduce him. I'm sitting there. I'm like, man, this guy went to the Philippines. Go talk about Jesus. That's kind of weird. I can talk about Jesus in America. And, uh, you, always, guy, you always know that it's going to be good when the pastor says, I'm going to scrap my notes and we're going to do something different, don't you think? <laughs> Amen to that. Amen to that. That's a good one. Um, yeah. And no joke, y'all, this dude gets up there and talks, tells a story about the equivalent like the, of like the state fairgrounds here down the street for me in Raleigh. They have the equivalent of that. It's like a bazaar type thing. It's it, it's a market where people buy and trade. They got meats. They got food. They got books. They got decorations. They got artsmen. They got blacksmiths, etc. And there was a guy that was an atheist. And the pastor said, or, or, or the guy, or the, the brother in Christ, let's say. I don't know if the guy was actually a pastor. He said he kept on pursuing this guy. But the guy was always, like, curious he would drink coffee with him. He'd have daily conversations with him. And the guy would be like, yeah, but, you know, look at the Muslims over here. Look at the Tao Te Ching over here. Look at the Hindus over here. And, and they had really good conversations about culture and history and, and implications and where Christianity fits. And I was getting intrigued about that because I loved history. I, I just, I've always been a learner. 
and I'm getting intrigued. And the guy's like, well, let me tell you guys about the story about how the following morning, the dude comes running to me. He looks like he saw a ghost. And he's like, bro, he's like, dude, we got to talk. The guy's like, hey, I'm busy with somebody right now. He's like, no, you need to come over here and talk to me. He's like, he walks over to this other stand. He grabs a painting, Mary, walks the painting over. He points at it. And he said, who made this painting of this door? And what is this door all about? And the guy smiled. And he said, bro, that's a famous Christian painting. He's like, that door is representation of Jesus Christ. You see the light around it? He's on the other side. He's knocking. I literally started shaking, Mary. I literally started shaking. I literally sat there. And I started weeping. And I'm shaking. Tom's like, hey, are you all right? And I'm like. Dude, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm try I, I can't fathom this. He's like, "What's wrong?" And I'm weeping. And I and I look up. I got snot bubbles. Weeping. I said, "How is it? How is it that a dude who just came from the Philippines, talking to an atheist, talks about this dream he had when I had the same exact dream a week ago? The same exact dream as that guy." Wow. Whew. Oh my God. The the Lord literally, I was so far in a ditch on the side of the road that the Lord literally had to reveal himself to me. Wow. In the darkest times of my life. That's when he comes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, what he told me was I was lost in a cave and I came to this door and I could feel these hands and these crows and I'm lost forever and ever. I guess this is the equivalency of hell. And I finally come to an end of this, these taverns, these caves. I get lost. I'm twisting. I'm twisting. I finally come to something. Dunk, dunk. I'm like, what's this? Dunk. It's like this ancient door. I could still smell it. I could smell everything about it. And I'm screaming, let me out, 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 let me out. And then finally, after I'm in there for eternity, I see a light shine through the cracks. I'm like, oh, here comes somebody. Yes. I spang loud. I'm yelling loud. I'm like, open the door. Open the door. I'm lost. Get me out of here. And the light gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And believe me, I've done a lot of welding in my life back in the day. It was something brighter than that, brighter than the sun. <laughs> it was the most purest light. I, it was the, the, the resonance of this light was blinding. And being in that darkness, I couldn't see. Like I, I, I could have 20 welding helmets on, and I still couldn't see, y'all. And I'm screaming, let me out, let me out, banging against the door, banging against the door. I'm like, open the door. And the slat opens in this flood of light. I buckle to my knees. I can't look at it. I'm on the ground. I'm withering. I can't even open my eyes. I'm like, who are you? Open the door. Let me out. I'm like, I'm going to come. I've literally said this, y'all. I'm going to come out there. I'm going to whip your butt, whoever you are. I said, you're not being nice. <laughs> I'm like, you got to let me out. I'm lost. And he spoke to me in the most calmest, loving voice. And it wasn't, it wasn't language like us. It was this resonance, this pure vibration of resonance that hit this like human resonance that it just, I couldn't, I buckled. I, I just got, got real weak and I just started like, weeping and he said thomas i've been knocking for a long time and he touched my heart somehow through that door and he took me on a time lapse and like 
this quantum time lapse and a split second of the lineage of my whole family and how he was there for them. And no matter what darkness they went through, he was there. He's been seeking my lineage for a long time for some odd reason. And he said, and it's, it's it, it, you know, there's some portions in the Bible that he says, you know, in the New Testament, like, hey, um, you know, only you come to me to get to the father. And then there's another time when he's like, it's the father. Uh, he literally told me, he said, I don't I don't have the keys to this door. My father has the keys to this door, Thomas. Mm-hmm. He says, you need to go wow. through my father in order to open this door. And I said, where's your father? He said, I'm going to send you back into the world. And, and your time will come. But it's my father that has the keys. And I woke up wow. that next morning and I go to the bathroom shivering. I'm like, what just happened? And there I was. Apparently, in that dream, I must have got up and wrote on that glass in a um, dry erase marker. I wrote a poem. The wow. man in the the man in the mirror looking back at you. That you own it. You can only blame yourself for everything. It's time for you to arise. It's time for you to move forward and grow up. And um. From there, I joined a church. Um, I got baptized. Between that, um, my um, I met my now beautiful wife. Um, let's call her Esther Snow for right now. <laughs> yeah, you refer to her as beloved a lot. I noticed yes. that. Yep, that's my beloved. And let's just say, y'all, really cool. she... Um, she comes from the right side of the tracks. This is this is a good one, maybe for you. She, her you father imagine, was a. Could you imagine where you'd be if you didn't get back on the right track? My goodness, you were going down quite a road there. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that, brother. Oh yeah, and uh, somehow, it's amazing what happens. Number one is is you know, you look back in time and you, and you see the people that made the positive impact and influences the the mentorship of how important it is to be mentoring and to be mentored in the same phase. You know what I mean? You got a Timothy uh, and a Paul relationship, and then you got a Stephen relationship there in the hierarchy of the church. And you got to walk alongside people. And, you know, I started surrounding myself with outstanding people. You know, it's like almost through osmosis. Before you know it, I traded a all my knuckleheaded boys that I loved that I grew up with. We were hood rats. But, man, I started surrounding myself with people going to NC State for their physics degree, for their Ph.D., material science engineering. My wife's got two engineering degrees. Other buddy goes to Wake Forest. And before you know it, I got meeting more friends and more friends. And, you know, the, the neighborhood where my apartment was. It was like half gay community. I don't know what happened in that community. It got hijacked these last 10 years to 15 years, to be honest with y'all. Um, they would pour their love into me. They refined me. One of my best friends at the time, he just this gay man, Ron, love him to death. Thank you, Ron, for what you've done. He literally grabbed me before I met my wife, Patty, guys. And you know what he told me? We got to clean you up. You're still rough around the edges. I'm going to take you to come buy your first suit of your life. 
I ha- I still have that suit. Like literally, I had people that just were like coming alongside of me. Like they they saw me for my potential. They saw me for who I was, and they didn't care who 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 I was previously, where I come from, what I did. What they cared about was friendship and the person, and it meant so much. Whether they were atheists, whether they're gay, straight, from Pluto, purple, educated, not educated, entrepreneurs, it didn't matter. There was just a solid group of people down here in the South that that there was a sincerity that I got drawn to. And I really appreciate it because without them as well in this journey of life, I don't become the person I am today. Um, yeah. And then met my beloved and her father was a dentist professor at SUNY Buffalo up in Buffalo. And uh, she was the youngest of 10, I want to say, <laughs> Irish Catholic family up there. And she's from the right side of the tracks and I'm from the wrong side of the tracks. And I can't, I, I just remember the first time she took me up to Buffalo. I had my Red Sox hat on crooked with my Boston accent. Her dad looks at me and y'all should have seen the look on his face. It was like <laughs> my daughter brought this dude home. <laughs> well, you have learned to say y'all, so yep, I guess that's true. You know, you say y'all with the Boston accent, so that's pretty <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, you know what? It sounds like um you know what I've gotten from what you've talked about so far is that um you had a real rough and tumble growing up and just um, you saw the dark side of a lot of things, but um, God just sounds like he just really reached out in an even more dramatic way Mm -hmm. in your life and grabbed you. Yeah. You know, Yeah, when he seeks you, when he wants you, he comes right out and grabs you. Oh yeah. There's no doubt about that. And uh, definitely, you know, like last night, he, God is omniscient omnipresent just imagine to our conversation last night you two if god left the 99 to come save me and in the same time he's doing it for a mary and he's doing it for a ron he's doing it for a kilted christian he's doing it for a living he's doing it for jamie he's doing it for punky he did it he's doing it today at a quantum level isn't that amazing yeah i mean man and, you know, then I asked my wife for a hand in marriage. And I, well, I, I, I asked her parents first, which are much older than us. My mother-in-law, bless her, I think she's, she's in her 90s now. Um, she luckily lives down here too, so we get to spend some time with her, with my daughters and stuff. And that's been a big blessing. Um, that part of the deal when I asked for the hand in marriage, my father-in-law looked at me. He's like, well, I know you come from very humble beginnings with nothing. He said, to be honest with you, I was concerned at first. Um, He said, but you know something, Tom, I was wondering where real men in the next generations would stand up and by you having the character and the integrity to come to me and knowing where you come from, he said, that speaks volumes of who you are. There's other people in this family that never ha- asked for my daughter's hand in marriage. And I'm not going to give you names. It's not about that. But I could just tell you this, that with a heart like that, integrity and character, yes, you can marry my daughter with one stipulation. 
you go back to school, you finish your degree. So that was a stipulation. So I went back to school later in life. And unfortunately for me, I decided to pick one of the most difficult majors, mechanical engineering. And I was 28 years old when I went to community college. And by the time I graduated from university from NC State and as an ME, um, I was 35, lost my father my um, junior year while my wife was six months pregnant, my oldest daughter. Um, that was very difficult that my family tore each other apart. Luckily, I was with God and God was with me. That was very difficult, having to mourn my father, trying to finish school. I almost dropped out. My mother sent me a, a, my father's journal. She mailed it down, said, Tommy, you need to read this. I was literally going to walk away, guys. And in that journal, my father wrote, there's an entry that he's writing about us knuckleheads, literally calls us knuckleheads. The kids are all acting up. They're being knuckleheads. We're trying to move out of the projects. I'm trying to buy my dream house in the middle of the mountains down the street from where I go hunting and fishing and shooting. And that's all I care about. I want to get animals. I want ducks. I want pigs. I want geese. I want chickens. And I just want to be out of the city. And then later on, there's another entry where he says he dropped out of university. And later on after that in the journal, he has a diploma and a cap. And he starts discussing about the importance of education, the importance of advancement, and he, the the regret he had when he walked away. My mother knew. My mother read that, and she knew that if I read that, that would just set me on fire. And boy, did it! I went back to school, and let's just say I crushed it. And I got offered to uh, get fully vested and fully full scholarship for my master's by one of the professors, and I had to turn it down because at this point I had a child. Um, and unfortunately then I lost my father-in-law before I graduated. So I lost two fathers within one year, almost ex is, is within one week of one year. And I remember all that hardship y'all. And if I was a young man and if God didn't find me, if I didn't have God, I would have buckled big time, Ron and Mary. Like I, it was God. God was my strength. I remember sitting there at the casket, holding my wife's stomach my, with my oldest daughter in her belly. And I just remember standing there, just like, all right, it's, it's go time, Tommy. This is it. Now it's on you. And then from there, um, I just took off, man. And um, God's doing great things, you know. And um, I'm really appreciative of the community that Bards offered with all the people that I've been, you know, in communication with the last couple of years, I know there was about a six month period of time in this dark period where I had to stop calling in. Well, I never called in just jumping in on the chat and discussing with people, praying with people, letting them know I'm there to form mm -hmm. because I, I ran into a hardship with my beloved between this full disclosure, between all this craziness. And, um, it really got to a point, Mary, that, if I didn't focus 100% on my household and my wife and my children, I was going to lose them. And I yeah. was like, you, you, you got to put everything down and you got to focus on your relationship. And that was difficult. And, 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 you know, as I gain personal relationships with everybody and I build trust, that's something that I'll reveal in time, but I don't want to reveal it publicly, but I just want to bring that up just to let other people oh, sure. know if they're struggling from 
what happened through all this, I want to let you know that, hey, I too, no matter the hardships I've been through, this last three years, to be honest with y'all, was more difficult than the hardships I had to be put through previously in life. So, yeah. agreed. It's been hard for <clears throat> a, a lot, so we we certainly understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we've all found a lot of comfort in this community. It's been great. Yeah, and um, you know, going back to going back to my roots, you know, um, gardening has been a phenomenal unbelievable thing for me these last i'm on year four now and all the different things i've learned and um you know i would say one of the most powerful bible verses for me nowadays verses plurals just read all of john 15 everybody at some point about um the father being the vine the husbandman jesus being the vine us being the branches um and how and as a gardener you have to maintain and prune things in order for the right energy, the right soil, the right nutrients, the right light, the right hydration, the water to get to the areas of the plant to make it fruit. Tomato plants, cut the suckers, uh, cucumbers, everything has to be pruned. And reading John 15 to me is just a reminder of that. And when I garden, it, it's, it's, it's literally an image of what the father's doing to us. And, you know, I had a conversation today at my new job, not lots of spiritual conversations today, by the way. Um, Some people going through some hardship and someone asked me like, but I'm a Christian, I'm going through all this hardship. And they started doing the woe is me. And I said, hold on, pump your brakes. I was like, the Lord is pruning you. God is, I was like, God wants to make sure in, in, in the three aspects of life are, you're going into a storm, you're in a storm, you're coming out of a storm. And the only time we see some sunlight, to be quite frank, is between phase one and three on the front end and the back end. And God just wants to be there with you. He wants to make sure that your heart in the darkest times, you know that he's there and you are being his true child and you're repenting. I said, for instance, in my walk of faith, I've realized even in my worst days, even in my worst situation, y'all, I still thank God. Something bad happens to me. I thank God. Lord, I know this happened. I'm sorry. Um, I don't know why I'm going through this, but I know in the future you will reveal in time what you are trying to teach me what my fault and how I am missing the mark. And from there we grow. And, um, I, I have, um, you know, full disclosure, my wife and I, we are members of a church down the street from us. Um, so we are in community church community. Um, unfortunately my church was one of those churches guys that shut down during this whole thing. And, um, I got really upset about that to be quite frank. I got angry about it because I knew that the people of this community, especially the youth from the troubled neighborhoods, that if you shut everything down, it's just going to exponentially grow all the negative things in their life, and it's going to negatively impact them for a long time. So I got really frustrated. Then they finally opened up, and you know, before they shut down, 
I was um, volunteering in, in the uh, in a youth room with these little boys. I followed them from five years old all the way up to third grade at that time before COVID hit. And uh, one of the young boys, I was blessed. I was, you know, very blessed to be. A, he, he selected me in particular to baptize him. And that was a very powerful day. That literally happened a couple weeks before the entire shutdown happened. So I went from like highs of highs right, right before that. My um, my oldest daughter decided to take Christ on her own cognizance and her own choice. So she wanted – there was a uh, month before that. That was January of 2020. She wanted my wife and I to baptize her. Awesome. So my oldest daughter got baptized, and that was a very powerful moment for my wife and I because about six months prior, seven months prior to that, my wife decided to make her own choice and have her own relationship with Christ. And when she came to Christ, it was a big deal because she, she went to her family and her mom. She's like, hey, I want you guys to come to my baptism. So she decided to get baptized. And awesome. that was a big thing. Because you guys got to think those old school Catholics, they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, you are baptized. We baptized you when you're a baby. So there was some, I want to say animosity. They supported her, but there was some awkwardness, let's just say. But my wife persevered and she did phenomenal. And she got involved with the church, with moms in the church, with doing mom coffee breaks. She started building her own community of sisters. She started helping these sisters in christ do a podcast so she started learning how to do their marketing stuff so she just took a crash course on you know social media stuff and all that um awesome she, she no longer wants to be an engineer uh she's nice. so much smarter than me so awesome. um well she, it's really it's it's so good that you know she's accepted christ and that um mm -hmm. you know your your family is kind of on track and that's you know, that's one of the things that we are really dedicated here on the podcast to is mm -hmm. doing a call out for salvation, you know, that um, it's important for people to express, you know, that they believe in Jesus and that they need a, a savior. So, and I've got, I've just opened a call in. So if anybody would like to call in, yeah. if, if you are ready to receive Jesus tonight, the calls, they are open and this is going to be the last Godcast for a little while that I'll be heading salvation uh, after the testimony here, at least for a little while. However, salvation is not and will never leave Godcast. I'm simply just going to pass that torch on to Mary. And eventually she's going to pass that torch on to Burke. And the reason for this is everybody here, including our listeners, everybody here needs to become comfortable with asking that question. Are you ready to receive Jesus today? Are you ready for Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? So if any of our listeners out there are ready, the call-in function, it's open. Uh, right now I'm going to read Romans 10, 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So if there's anyone listening that would like to call in, please do so now. If you are listening to the recording, 
we have this on our telegram telegram page this is an official godcast you can find romans 10 9 through 10 in print form there and we've said it before you don't need mary you don't need me or or ezra all you need is yourself and jesus uh, there's also a prayer of surrender there that you can repeat and you simply just need to understand <clears throat> and acknowledge that you are a sinner you need to believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, believe that God raised him from the dead, and it's that easy. You'll be saved, and we encourage you to do so today. Uh, the way that the world's going now, I, I, I've kind of compared it to, uh, you know, a little basketball analogy. You know, when, you, when, when it's a fourth quarter and you're down by 10 points and uh, you really need to score, what do you do? You do a full court press, and and that's why that's where I feel we're at today in the world is it, it's time to put that full court press on. Uh, we need to seek out. Uh, the lost, bring them right to the cross, introduce them to Jesus, pray for people that are unsaved, pray for those that you, that you love. Um, and you know, let us not forget we're, we're here for one reason, one reason only that's to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, our savior. Uh, so please, I encourage everybody to do that. Share this Godcast with somebody you love, share this Godcast with somebody you love that doesn't know God. And, uh, I want to thank Ezra. I want to thank you for coming here tonight. Yes. Your testimony you. was certainly moving. That's touched us all. It's touched me. And um, I can't wait to listen to it again. I'm sure I will tomorrow. And I know others will as well. Um, Mary, you've gathered up some prayers from our, um, from our chat. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. If anyone's joining us late, you know, please, when you come into Godcast, we encourage you to get in chat and you can tag Mary and any prayer requests that you have, let her know and we'll pray for you at the end of the show. We're going to do that right now. Uh, Mary, will you lead us in prayer? Sure. Finish. Thank you. Okay. Lord, I just want to thank you, first of all, for tonight. And um, just as always, you have brought it. <laughs> and uh, I just want to thank you for our brother, Tom, and um, just everything that you laid on his heart to share here tonight and that um, you really have, um, you know, he's come from, uh, he's had some rough tumble times, Lord. And that's not even, that's not even adequately, adequately describing it, Lord. But um, I'm just so thankful that you have used every single thing that's happened to him in his life. You have used it for good. And that even the disappointments and different things that had happened to him, that you you always place somebody there in his life um, to bring him closer to you, you know, for this, what, what we see now of Tom. So um, I ask for a blessing upon his family. And uh, we just thank you for everything that you have uh, done in his life and that he got to share it here tonight with us. And Lord, I, I want to lift up um, some of our brothers and sisters here who have um, reached out on behalf of their friends and their family for prayer. Um, there's Insidious. She has a friend named Julie who has breast cancer, apparently was just first just diagnosed. So Lord, we just pray for healing for Julie. We pray for your hands of peace and guidance on all of the the physicians and and whatever she's going to go through um, health wise lord we just ask for wisdom for all of anybody that's interacting with her and in, in her health and we just pray a healing 
for her, Lord. Um, we pray for peace over her family. We pray for peace over Insidious. And thank you, Lord, that um, she has, Julie has a friend in her that she can just come out for prayer like this. It's a, We just praise you and thank you for that. And then there's someone called Well My Soul in the chat who uh, wants prayer for her son, bodily and spiritual healing. So we pray for um, whatever would be causing anything that would be causing pain or any body um, issues, Lord. We just pray your healing over that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray healing over her son. In Jesus' name, we pray healing over his mind, body, and soul, spiritual healing as well, Lord. Come into him in a powerful way, even right now, even right in this very moment, Lord. We pray for that entrance into his life. And um, I, th I caught a little something maybe that Jaja wanted prayer for health, so we want to pray for her health or her families. Um, Lord, you know the every situation. Um, I don't even have to catch all of it because you have you have all of it. You see all of it, Lord. But we just want to pray in agreement for you know everybody that needs you, which we all do. We all need you. And I do want to pray um, a prayer over Ron's kids, their grandpa, Tim, again. We pray for him every week, Lord, that he will get to know you and that your, that your relationship with him will be increased with this, that um, spiritually he's going to grow throughout this whole challenge. But we also pray for healing and relief of pain, and we pray peace over their whole family. And we pray for the boys as well, that they will um, have a joyful, joyful time with their grandpa. And um, I think, I think that was it, Lord, that I've seen. But like I said, Lord, you just, you know, everybody, <laughs> and you know what everyone is needing right now. So I just pray whatever that is, that it, it will be done in your will, Lord. And I also pray for whoever heard this message tonight. I pray for your heart and your mind to be opened. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, just melt, melt the hearts and minds and soften them towards you, Lord. And we pray for salvation. Thank you for, for everybody here tonight. And um, we just want to close this out with um, just a praise for what you you have done so far that we can see and, and all the things that we can't see that are going on. We know that are awesome. So thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, guys. Well, again, thank you, Ezra, for being here. We, we certainly appreciate you, brother. You are a lot of fun and uh, you're you're always more than welcome to come back on here again if you want to co-host and also awesome. uh, as I mentioned this is going to be the last uh, time for a while that I'm going to do salvation um, but I want to encourage others uh, to call in and do salvation as well here on Godcast uh, Mary she has a personal guest friend coming on next week Nate Wattenhofer and that's why she's going to take over and then she's got some other friends coming in in March and we want to get her comfortable behind the wheel but also for everyone else out there you know it's not it's not just going to be me and mary you know asking hey are you guys ready to receive jesus i want all of us to do that i you know i had a thought last week is if every single 
uh, Jesus loving Christian on the face of the earth was able to just reach out and touch and bring one person to salvation. Could you imagine what a change it would be in our world today? If we doubled our numbers, oh, yeah. just, totally. just I mean, we've got a lot of work to do here. As you look outside, you see where the world's turning. We've got a lot of work to do. We got some wood to chop and, uh, we just got to <laughs> get into the trenches and get in and do it. Um, so, so please, uh, be with me, be part of that team, be part of the Godcast team. Um, coming up next, next week again, Nate Wattenhofer, uh, again, thank you, Ezra Snow, Mary, thank you. And, uh, we'll see you guys next week, 7 PM Eastern time right here on Podbean. Yes. Thank you guys. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. know that there will be a day The Lord will have me fly away Right with this old when I'm gone Turn sender on my stone In time the body will succumb Call the faithful servant home Right with chisel when I'm gone Turn the sender on my stone Turn the sender on my stone Though my name is written in his hand Spoke there in the promised land So write with chisel when I'm gone Turn the sender on my stone And I want to hear a job well done I want to hear it from the sun so write with chisel when I'm gone Turn the sender on my stone Turn the sender on my stone
cobblestones and beat him until the blood ran. They brought him to die on a cross upon high with spikes through his feet and his hands. You can use him, abuse him, mock and accuse him, sell him out for 30 pieces, betray him, slay him, do the devil's mayhem, but you can't shake. Thorns on his brow, his eyes on the crowds, all of God's daughters and sons. Spitting on him, cursing at him, forgive them for what they have done. You can use him, abuse him, mock and accuse him. Sell him out for 30 pieces Betray him, slay him Do the devil's mayhem But you can't shake Jesus and doubts you know there are those who deceive I've tried to resist escape and dismiss but there's one who's shadowing me I can lose my religion break with tradition say But I just can't deny it. No, I can't shake Jesus. No, I can't shake Jesus. Bye. 
Joys will never 